Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free, private Facebook community, Mind Body Breakthroughs. Proud affiliate of Redmond Real Salt, the best tasting and most mineral rich salt on the market without the microplastics and other issues of conventional salts. See the show notes for 15% off your order. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. All right, we are back with Dr. Stephen Hussey, America's Heart Coach. And today we're going to be talking about saturated fat and why it does not make sense evolutionarily for saturated fat to be the cause of heart disease. Doc, tell us all about it. What are your thoughts? All right. This is a, this may be kind of a long story, but it was, it did start like two and a half million years ago. So to be fair. Um, but yeah, this is one of my favorite topics because this is like in my first book that I wrote, you know, the health evolution, you know, evolution is what, what really gave me uh, the health answers I was looking for. You know, I had I had been through uh, medical training and I had done my own research and everything and, and still not been satisfied, but evolution is what really brought things together for me. So let's think about this. So I guess to kind of preface this, we should say that, that you know, humans have been eating meat and saturated fat and, and animals in general for for a long time. It's It's really the diet that made us human, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. So it doesn't really make sense that something that that made us human, something that was um, selected for, meaning that it, it had favorable outcomes for humans and drove our our um, uh, existence and our survivability, for that to be the cause of the leading cause of death today. It does not make sense. So let's talk about this. Um, let's kind of break it down. So before, um, you know, the, the, the species, um, not species, but before um, the group of, of living things that were called Homo, you know, our, our, our pre-human, our pre-modern human ancestors, before they became anything, there was this group of, of um, uh, pre-humans, I guess, called um, Australopithes. Um, and so there was lots of different types of these, you know, people may know about um, Lucy, uh, I believe she was um, Australopithecus um, uh, florensis, and there was Australopithecus um, Africanus and all these different different um, variations of this um, this species or this um, group of prehumans. And what happened about somewhere between 2.5 and 1.8 million years ago um, is there was two splits. And so um, Australopithecus split into what were called Paranthropus and and Homo. And Homo is the obviously the lineage that eventually became humans. Were Homo sapiens. Um, Paranthropus um, was this. Um, a uh, group of of living things that that they had like these hugely developed jaws 
and they had like so like our jaw muscles go up and they attach kind of here on the side like on the side of our uh, like above our ears kind of and so paranthropus had like this ridge through the middle of its skull where it had these large um uh, attachments of muscle. They had huge jaw muscles and they were attaching on this ridge that it developed on the top of its skull. And it was for chewing very fibrous plants. Um, like, so it, it allowed them to, um, like chew these things over and over and over again, much like a cow chews things, um, to get, um, to break it down, like for the the amylase to break it down in its, in its mouth. Uh, but it had to chew it for long periods of time. And so it developed these large jaw muscles. Well, long story short with paranthropus, they died off. Um, they didn't make it. Okay. Then we converse that with, or we, we um, compare that to um, the, the genus um, Homo. And what they started doing, they started eating animals. Okay. And so that, that not necessarily choice, they may have been forced to do it um, for, for lack of a food supply elsewhere. But that's when we start seeing um, that our, our, Pre-humans or the, the, the our ancestors started eating animals, and so if you look at the archaeological evidence, everywhere that um, um, the genus Homo showed up, uh, large megafauna started to die off. Okay, and so you know, 65 million years ago, when the dinosaurs died, mammals, um, some of them survived, and they started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, until and so when we get to like two. Two and a half million years ago, there was these giant mammals that we call megafauna, and there was the woolly mammoths and the giant saber-toothed tigers and the and the giant sloths and the cave bears. They were just huge, huge mammals, and then humans started showing up, or pre-humans started showing up, and these large mammals started dying off, and we see that, and they they plummeted in a very quick fashion, and so obviously, uh, we were eating them, we were hunting them and eating them. They were huge sources of calories. You know, this this type of diet is what changed our gut into something um, that didn't need to ferment anything anymore um, because we were getting those short-chain fatty acids directly from our food. Um, and our, our brains grew. Uh, they, they, um, they exploded in size, really. Um, and our, um, you know, our ability to hunt also made our brains grow, um, or like the strategy involved in hunting allowed our brains to grow. And so this diet um, led to you know, Neanderthals and modern humans being what they are today. So I like to say that, you know, we didn't evolve to eat animals. We evolved what we are today because we ate animals. Um, and so if we hadn't done that, if our ancestors hadn't done that, we wouldn't be here. And so, but something really interesting happened. So just like, um, just like everybody today is so worried about the environment and what humans are doing to it, we, we were, we were trashing the environment then too, because we killed off this megafauna. It's no longer around today. I mean, we have some large mammals around, um, but nowhere near the amount or the size that we had back then. Um, and so, whenever these whenever these megafauna became so scarce, all of a sudden, this this food supply that made us who we are and that we were relying on to keep us who we are was gone. And so, I think that that combined with some other factors, as far as like you know, the warming of the planet and being in the right place at the right time, humans were, I think, forced to um, start farming. You know, we needed, we needed a lot of calories. Um, they weren't, they weren't the best form of calories. They weren't the type that we, that made us who we are. But we started farming because we could, we could uh, stay in one place. Um, we could make uh, a ton of calories um, and we could kind of 
sustain ourselves off of these calories and we could survive. Um, and I think that that was a result of us killing off our food supply, which, you know, people could say we're doing all kinds of things to the planet now that, that are putting our, is our life in jeopardy. And we were doing it back then as well. And so what we see, you know, that, that the first farming happened like 10 to 12,000 years ago. And I think that um, one of the first um, civilizations, because that's what this farming thing did, it, it kind of brought, you know, a class system, it brought civilization, it brought um, all kinds of, like a total change in the way of life uh, for humans. And um, what it did, it, or what we see in the ancient Egyptians, um, you know, they were very, you know, well-documented culture, their civilization. And they also mummified a lot of people. And so we can study their their soft tissues, not just their skeletons. And, you know, we see that they had atherosclerosis. Um, we see, we see in one of their, um, their famous texts that's been preserved, the Ebers papyrus, um, you know, a direct description of a heart attack. Um, it says something like along the lines of, you know, and if someone comes in, you're examining for them for pain in their chest that goes down their arm, blah, blah, blah. Um, it is, it is said that, um, death threatens him. And it also says at the end of it, it says, and it's due to something entering the mouth. That's the, the English translation from what it is. So it's like clearly they, they attribute it to something that they were eating. And so what were the ancient Egyptians eating? They were farming a lot on the banks of the Nile, the very fertile banks of the Nile River. Um, and if you look at, um, you know, a lot of their artwork and their statues and all these different things, like they're, they're um, grinding flour, they're grinding wheat to make flour. Um, and they're, they're chopping down grains. Like this is what they were living on. And it's very well known that among archeologists that, that the Egyptians did not eat meat, um, very, very frequently. Um, they may have fished in the Nile and, and, but you know, the, the animals were used to help them make plants to eat. Um, so, um, so it's just interesting that, that, you know, when, when we went away from that, that diet that made us who we are. And went toward more toward farming. We start to see evidence of parties now. Obviously, we didn't measure it back then um, when we were eating a lot of, of um, animals. But it's just very interesting to see um, that that contrast. And now, but it gets even more interesting because as civilization went on, um, we had another issue that came up, and that was that was sanitation. Okay, so that was hygiene. Okay, um, so we have. Uh, I, you know, we think of back in like the 1800s industrial revolution and how unsanitary things, things were and how people were dying of infections. And so that's what another thing that civilization brought on is that before, before then, like when we were hunter gatherers and things were wild, like bacteria, you know, if they infected a, an individual, they couldn't afford to kill it very quickly because if there was no new host for them to get, to get to, because we weren't in close quarters, then that bacteria would die with the host. So, so bacteria, um, when we came, uh, we started civilizations, all of a sudden all our livestock and, and people were in close quarters and bacteria evolved very quickly because they can do that because they reproduce very quickly, um, to, to, uh, to kill the host. And it doesn't matter because they can just go to the next host and the next one and the next one. There was as many hosts around they could, uh, and they could survive. Um, but the thing that happened is that this, this rate of infectious disease was hiding, um, was hiding the effects that civilization had on us as far as chronic disease. Okay. So, so the analogy that I give people is, let's say you have a house and 
you know, the, the roof is getting really weak. The plumbing is starting to go bad. The foundation is starting to crumble. All this kind of stuff is, is happening. And long term, that's not a good, that's not going to be a good outcome for that house. But then all of a sudden it burns down. And they, then someone says, oh, the problem with the house was a, was a faulty electrical wild that burned the house down. It's like, well, no. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's true, you know, but that was the infection. That was the thing that, that killed the house before the effects of the chronic disease things that were happening um, could be seen. Okay. And so we get this infection was kind of hiding the effects of, of the problems um, as far as chronic disease um, in civilization. So then antibiotics come along and we, we correct the, and, and sanitation and, and hygiene, and that starts to get more paid attention to. Um, and so we kind of correct this infectious disease thing. And now all of a sudden we're seeing the repercussions of, of what it was when civil or what happened to ourselves as far as chronic disease goes when civilization started. And so now people are living longer. So like at the turn of the century, 1900 life expectancy was like 47. And now it's like 77 for men and like 80 for women. And so around those numbers. So, um, what was that? That was that we, we took out the effects of infection, but now we're seeing the repercussions of, of civilization that's been going on for 10 to 12,000 years that we never saw before because infection was there hiding it. Um, and so those changes, those major changes to me are, um, a major change in diet. You know, most of the calories in the standard American diet are coming from wheat and corn and rice, uh, and soy. And those are not foods that made us human. Those are not the foods that, that, um, resulted in us becoming human. Um, but also the extreme exposure to toxins, that's what civilization brought, you know, especially in the industrial revolution. Um, we started mining these, these metals out of the earth, things that we had never come in contact with before, um, and are very toxic to our bodies in the sense that our bodies doesn't know what to do with them. Um, and then all the other synthetic chemicals that we've made, um, and then also the stress that a modern day society or civilization puts on you um, as far as your, you know, kind of endless quest for money, um, which is very stressful because one resource buys you all the things you need to survive. Um, you know, this this, you know, really day to day competition almost between between people like we're putting ourselves at odds with each other, trying to compete um, to to gain resources. Um, and I think that it's it's just very stressful for us. And that's a a result of civilization. Um, and so it's really interesting um, when we look at it, look at the whole um, timeline that way. And then looking back at it, it makes no sense that, and we look at the things that change in that time, it makes no sense that that diet that made us who we are and made us so successful um, and allowed us to um, become the most dominant species on earth um, is the thing that's killing us now. It makes no sense to think that way. There's so many other things that changed. Um, between that time, uh, like I said, when, when civilization started, all the things that changed in that time. And so if we look at, um, if we look at heart disease and cancer and, and diabetes and, and, and COPD, like lung, lung disease and stuff, like these are all like the epidemic that we have them now, you know, they were present at the beginnings of civilization, but the epidemic that we have them now is only about hundred to 200 years old. Um, so a food, an ancient food, um, that we've been eating for literally millions of years, um, there's no way that that can explain or that could be the cause of something that's happened very, very recently. Um, you know, at the most 10,000 years ago, but even more so, we only see the effects of those changes like on an epidemic level 
200 years or so. Um, so that's that's my that's my spiel on, on evolution. Yes, that's a really good point because a lot of people tend to think historically when they look on civilization that infection was the cause of death when in fact it was just masking chronic disease that was there when we had the introduction to agriculture and eating a heavy wheat-based diet. Um, so most people consider heart disease fairly new from the 1900s based on the research and what's been in the American and world press, especially when Eisenhower famously had his heart attack and Ansel Keys did his seven country study where there were a lot more countries in that study that were omitted because they did not support the hypothesis. And that's where I feel the, the fraudulent data and science started to enter modern society and change our views regarding saturated fat. And I'm just wondering if you could speak to that because the fear of saturated fat and cholesterol is, it, it's a epidemic in this country and it's a great fear that people have at, as far as changing their nutrition or looking at nutrition in a different way. And I'm just wondering if you could go into that so people can have a starting point for information to become empowered in mm -hmm. learning the truth regarding saturated fat. Yeah. Um, there was, there's actually many physicians um, or many accounts of physicians prior to the 50s when Ansel Keys came out with this study uh, that recommended low-carbohydrate diets. I mean, I think the one of the most famous ones, I don't remember the doctor's name, but the guy who he treated uh, was named Banting. And uh, he he was having issues with his hearing and his eyesight and different things, and he was really overweight. And he, he went to, I think it was like his ear doctor or something, and his ear doctor had this interesting kind of weird theory that, oh, you're your excess weight is pushing into your ear canals or whatever, and that's affecting your hearing. You say, you need to lose some weight. And so he put them on this low-carb diet. And this was back in like the, I think the early 1900s, maybe late 1800s, something like that. Um, and it worked. And, you know, Banting wrote books about it, and uh, it, they were, they're kind of like a famous text for that time. And it was just like, and there was, there was other, um, you know, doctors uh, and physicians, and there was one that even wrote it into a medical textbook at the turn of the century. Um, he, he wrote that this was a very effective treatment for things. And so the whole idea, it's just crazy to me to think that, that the whole idea, like in the fifties, when, when, when somebody had the, you know, somebody or a group of people or, you know, people with financial interest or whoever it was had the idea that they should, uh, demonize saturated fat and cholesterol. Um, and and say that it caused heart disease based on whether they truly believed it or not, whether they actually believe this was the best thing for society or not. It's just crazy to me to think that um, that, that strong of a, a message that came from them starting in the 50s after Eisenhower's heart attack and everything has what's, is what's become the, the dogma today, and it's what's become um, the uh, conventional wisdom. I mean, you know, I was just like at a we have a grocery store called Earth Fair around here. And I was just at it today um, looking for sardines. And um, I, I heard people at the, at, the, at the hot food bar there. And they were just like, so this is the healthy, this is the healthy hot food bar. It's got, um, it's got um, organic. And I was like, oh, great, organic. And she said, and it's all vegetarian, so it's really healthy. healthy. And I was just like, oh. 
Like this is what people think. Like it's so programmed into them because of because of this media storm uh, that's really supporting um, this. And and it's it's really important that we become educated consumers, um, and we realize we we start to we look at history um, and and we um, educate ourselves on where we came from, what we ate to get to where we are, and why it does not make sense uh, based on based on these few poorly done studies that started in the 1950s um, that, that saturated fat is bad for us. And there's just no modern evidence to support that. Um, and it, it showed that you know, saturated fat and LDL cholesterol and animal protein, there's just no, there's really no downside unless you're already in a pathologic state already for some of those things. Um, but as far as, as, um, preventing those things and it being the best diet for us, evolutionarily, it makes sense. Uh, scientifically, it makes sense. And the only message that people are getting, unfortunately, is one that is very financially backed with an agenda. And that is that saturated fat's bad for you, that vegetarian is the way to go or vegan is the way to go. Um, and we just have to take into account um, all the, the conflict of interest that's going on with these within our academic institutions and the recommendations they give with our government and the recommendations they give as well. Um, it's, it's really difficult to, to know, um, what to believe. Uh, and so people just have to do their homework and, and hopefully I'm helping, I'm doing my part and to, to get the message out there so that people, um, can know that they should not fear animal protein or animal saturated fat. And you're doing an amazing job with that with your book and your insight and all of the research that you're putting out there. Another myth that is out there, that's another barrier and a fear of a lot of people is cholesterol. And I think that comes from a misunderstanding of the role of cholesterol in the body. Uh, we've had some great work out there from citizen scientists like Dave Feldman and then cardiologist, uh, Dr. Nadir Ali, uh, with their research as to the role of cholesterol and why it may be elevated in people on ketogenic diets. And I was just wondering if you could provide your insight on the role of cholesterol in the body that coincides with the research you've come across. Yeah, I like approaching this from the, from the um, direction of statins. So statins are, you know, cholesterol-lowering medications. And we look at what we see um, like what are the most common uh, side effects of statins? And three of them are memory issues. Um, and so, you know, your brain loves cholesterol. It's it's made up, you know, um, a huge amount of it is is cholesterol and and saturated fat. And so, if we deprive the body of that, it's it, we're going to have brain issues. And so, you know, Dr. Um, Ali he points out in the the Lighten 85 study and in the Midlothian uh, cohort study that they track these people for, for their whole entire lives. And the ones um, who had higher LDL cholesterol um, throughout their lives had, had the highest cognition, uh, the high, highest cognitive abilities um, among, in, among the people. So there's one of them. Um, also, statins are well known for causing muscle pain. Um, and that's because there's, well, the way the statins work is they interfere with the pathway that actually, um, triggers the cell to divide and, 
um, the muscle, there's a lot of turnover, cell turnover in the muscles. They're always uh, dividing and, and making more um, cells. And so if you interfere with that, you're going to get muscle pain. Um, and so um, having that cholesterol in there to um, give that signal for the turnover of, or the reprodu reproduction of the cell is really important. Take that away, you're going to get muscle pain. And I deal with this a lot in, in, a, in a chiropractic practice. People come in for pain all the time and lots of them are on statin drugs uh, and they say it started with the statin drug but the doctor says oh i have to stay on it um so now i need help managing the pain and i'm just like oh okay um so and then the third one um or another one is uh sexual dysfunction so if we look at um what all of our hormones are made from they're made from cholesterol uh including our sex hormones and so if you deprive your body or if you hoard all the cholesterol in cells, which is what statins force your body to do, they're not going to be there. So your body can make sex hormones. You're going to have problems with libido. You're going to have problems um, with sexual function, um, which is which is a, a huge issue for a lot of people. It's not a side effect that people want to have. Um, so there's and those are just, you know, kind of some of the top three. Um, but, yeah, so cholesterol is super important. I think another um uh, the last really important one is, I think, is that cholesterol plays a really important role in uh, the immune system, and it helps you fight infection. So cholesterol molecules will bind to pathogens, bacteria, viruses, whatever. Um, and so I've actually heard Dave Feldman say this because um, he talks to a lot more lean mass hyperresponders, which are people who have, um, you know, uh, really high cholesterol on a ketogenic or carnivore diet. Uh, and I, he, I heard him say that... Um, many of them report that they never get sick. These, these lean mass hyper-responders, they just don't get sick. Um, and to me, they've got all this LDL cholesterol floating around the blood. Any pathogen that gets in there, um, uh, it, it binds to it and they don't get sick. Not that I'm saying that, that um, if you get sick, it means you're unhealthy. I'm just saying that's something we notice. So LDL definitely plays a role in fighting infection. And I'm a lean mass hyper-responder. My cholesterol is, is very high on a keto carnivore diet. And I, I can remember the last time I was sick, and it was actually the month that I got married, um, way back in in January 2016. That was the last time I had you know a cold that kind of took hold of me, um, and that was before I was um, carnivore definitely, and before that yeah, was that was probably keto then, um, but still the, I didn't see this rise in cholesterol until I went carnivore, and um, and I think that's just an interesting observation. That is super interesting. You know, I think one of the things that I find ironic is, as you were talking about with our herbivorous ancestors or herbivorous animals in general, is that they actually, because they have the structures, the enzymes and the bacteria, they break down the plant material into short chain fatty acids, into saturated fat, which is what the animal then uses for its energy source. So it's just, it's funny to me that the animals that can be plant-based, that can effectively be herbivorous, even they have a high saturated fat energy diet. And it's only modern humans that are living off of carbs and seed oils and grains that somehow think that we're an exception to the rule. Far from being demonized, saturated fat is really a superfood. And I wondered if 
you might talk a little bit about saturated fat and its benefits and maybe how it is actually a more stable molecule than the unsaturated or polyunsaturated fats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so the difference between a saturated and unsaturated fat. So an unsaturated fat is one, um, like a, a fat is just a chain of carbons. And then it has all these hydrogen molecules attached to it. You know, it, it could have up to four bonds to something. And so one of those bonds or two of those bonds are obviously going to be other carbons because there's a carbon on either side of it making the chain. Uh, and then the other two will need to be hydrogens if the fat is saturated. Okay. If the fat is not saturated, um, there'll be a double bond to a carbon and there won't, there'll only be like one hydrogen there. Um, and so that's said to be an unsaturated fat. And so that leaves it unstable because it, there's more potential for it to react with things or react with heat, uh, or become damaged. Whereas when it's saturated and there's hydrogens surrounding it, it's just completely saturated with hydrogens. It's, it's, it's more resilient to damage. Okay. So if I want to build my body with something, I want to build it with something that's resistant to damage. Um, and so if, uh, let's say, I mean, every, every cell in your body is a, is a phospholipid bilayer. It's a fat bilayer. Um, and if, if I'm building that fat bilayer with, um, you know, with, with unsaturated fats that can become damaged, then when my body has inflammation, those cells could become damaged more easily. I'd rather burn it with saturated fats, which are very, or I'd rather build it with saturated fat, um, which are very stable. Um, and that's just one, you know, benefit of saturated fat, um, the other, like I've mentioned, is that your brain is um, is a large percentage saturated fat, and and I I noticed the repercussions of this personally whenever I was vegan like 12 years ago, and my brain was not functioning. Uh, it just it just wasn't, and I don't know how I even learned enough to pass the school that I was in at that time, um, but I did, and I got through it. But I can't imagine how much more I would have learned and soaked up. Um, if I was feeding my brain saturated fat. And I think that building your body with the correct type of fat and, and the fat that's resistant to damage is not just going to make a difference for like, you know, the function of your cells, um, but also the communication of, of information from your, from your brain to your body. Um, because every single nerve in your body is, is surrounded by fat, the myelin sheath, which is made up of, of saturated fat. Um, or we want it to be made up of saturated fat. It could be made up of, of unsaturated, but again, more resist- or more susceptible to damage. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, using these seed oils, um, or or even you know uh, avocado oil or or olive oil, which are more stable um, because they have some protective mechanisms. But even using those are not going to be as beneficial as giving your body saturated fat um, to build it with. I mean, that's there was no, it, the diet that made us human uh, did not consist of us squeezing olives to make olive oil or or um, using avocados to make avocado oil or anything like that. Like we were eating saturated fat directly from an animal. Um, that's what our body is used to using and that's what gave us the evolutionary success that we've had. Awesome. Well, Doc, thank you so much. Uh, I think that, like with so many things, we're learning that the very things that we've been demonized are really keys to health. And uh, we're excited to continue to 
go down these rabbit holes with you. So for those who might have just jumped on and are new to you, how can these guys find you? My website is resourceyourhealth.com. And that's where I do my health coaching and my blog is on there and my book uh, and other various things. And then I'm also active on social media on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Stephen Hussey, Dr. Stephen Hussey. Awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And our listeners do as well. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Doc. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today, Mind Body Breakthrough. Chris and I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend and to join us in our free Mind Body Breakthrough Facebook community where you can start peeling away the layers of everything that's not you so you can be you.